Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Are scientists actually studying paranormal experiences? What happens when they themselves become experiencers? What have they learned so far? Hello and welcome to the 921st edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WON, AM, and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, on YouTube, and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those cosmic questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. And today we bring you one of the most unusual figures in the paranormal world, one who truly is paving new ground. Ray Hernandez is director of the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute, uh, abbreviated CCRI, which around in these parts means Community College of Rhode Island, mm. but uh, not in this, this particular show, uh, it, which is a not-for-profit academic research organization composed of 20 Ph.D. academics, four medical doctors, whose mission is to explore the relationship between consciousness, our cosmology, and contact with non-human intelligence via the contact modalities. CCRI has embarked on a five-year academic research study on this topic, a book entitled A Greater Reality, The New Paradigm of Non-Local Consciousness, The Paranormal, and the Contact Modalities, is shortly to be released. Ray was the founder of the Dr. Edgar E. Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraordinary, Extra, Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Encounters, or FREE, uh, which has uh, pretty much completed its work, I understand. Uh, he also, they also produced a huge book, Beyond UFOs, The Science of Contact with Non-Human Intelligence. A practicing ta- tax attorney, Ray graduated with, with honors from Rutgers College, was a master's candidate at Cornell University and a doctoral candidate at the University of California, Berkeley, where he received a National Science Foundation Fellowship. So, Ray Hernandez, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for honor. Oh well, it's always always great to have you on. It's it's been a while actually, so uh, I guess we'll we'll just we'll hop right into it. Uh, so let's begin with your family's remarkable paranormal experience in 2012, the one that kind of started you on this path. So what happened? Yes, I'll, I'll be very brief. Uh, basically, um, we had a 15 year old dog who was very very ill. She became paralyzed. My wife began to pray all night. Uh, she's a hardcore Catholic. And in the next morning at 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, she and I saw this energy being in our living room. Uh, she disappeared right in front of me, but I was put to sleep. And when I woke up an hour later, the dog was completely healed running around the uh, uh, living room. And then she began to pray at night and call down these huge uh, UAPs. And then six months after that incident, and I tried to do what she was doing, and boom, this huge UAP showed up, and after that incident began uh, almost three and a half years of nonstop paranormal experiences. Uh, just, just to clarify for anybody who's used to the term UFO, the new term UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, is is uh, being used interchangeably these days. Uh, so that's what Ray's referring to in case anybody doesn't know. Sorry, Ray, go ahead. Yes, no, it, it's actually a more appropriate term because when people think of the term UFO, they think of a physical uh, craft uh, uh, and also as a physical phenomenon. And uh, what we have learned through this five-year academic research study from the uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation is that it's anything but a physical phenomenon. So the term UAP 
is more appropriate because uh, more people are seeing different types of energy and light configurations in the sky than they actually see a physical perceived craft. Yeah, it's interesting. That I'm sure you knew the, the late Ted Phillips uh, from Missouri. He was uh, the fellow uh, who had been researching uh, for many, many years uh, the UFO or UAP phenomena, and he would uh, was able to gather tremendous amounts of data regarding the um, uh, physical landing uh, evidence, things of that kind, of uh, for these these uh, phenomena. And he noted last time he was on the show, one of the last interviews he ever did that uh, it seemed to be more nuts and bolts years ago, as you say, with the UFO uh, or flying saucer phenomena. And then in in recent decades, it's become very, very uh, much more ethereal or spiritual, he even used the term, uh, balls of light, things of this kind, and the things such as you've just described, Ray. So, Ray, um, the, the, the term contact modalities moves in and out of your writings and, and uh, the, in the research documents of the uh, Institute. Can you exp- explain what contact modalities are? Yes, uh, contact modalities is a term that I coined in 1993 after I had, uh, basically while I was taken out of my body while I was driving my car in the middle of a traffic jam, and I was brought to another reality where I was shown all the different ways that humans are piercing the veil of our reality and having contact with non-human intelligence, uh, i.e. near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, um, UFO slash UAP type of contact, uh, people that have seen ghosts and spirits, um, people that have tried DMT or mushrooms and, and have these hallucinogenic contact experiences, uh, mediumship, uh, the whole gam- remote viewing, the whole gambit of, uh, of experiences which are really altered states of consciousness where people are having perceived conflict with non-human intelligence. And then in that experience, I was shown that humans are studying them as one, uh, uh, excuse me, as separate types of phenomena. When, in fact, it's actually one phenomenon under the rubric of consciousness, which is the nature of our reality. And um, and so um, several months later, uh, after I w- already was introduced to Dr. Edgar Mitchell and Dr. Rudy Shields, I wrote a paper titled uh, 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 The Quantum Hologram Theory of Consciousness and the Contact Modality. And that was trying to merge Edgar Mitchell's theory with my own personal experience. And I argue that all of these so-called paranormal experiences need to be taken out of little boxes that humans are placing them in, and we need to put them under the bigger picture because it's all one phenomenon, and I can get into that later. Yeah. No, no, we, we, that, that's what attracted us uh, to the whole work. Was that, that, that's exactly what we feel, um, you know, having uh, worked for so many years in, in the field and seeing it uh, that way. So now you've described some things that, that um, you've experienced that, that uh, a garden variety, hard-nosed scientist might take issue with. Now, uh, we, you have some some really amazing people on the research committee on which you did me the honor of asking me to serve too. 
uh, <clears throat> particularly Dr. Jeff Long, uh, many of the others uh, too, who are physicists, uh, psychologists, and people of this kind. What happens when <clears throat> when one of them, you know, with an with academic background, has similar experiences uh, to what you've experienced, and, and they have some of them, um, what happens uh, to their, their belief system in your experience? Well, let me give a, a background as to how all of this started. Um, once the, the organization was formed, the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation, which no longer exists, mm-hmm. that was formed just to do the UFO uh, research, which um, had never been done before, but we had really, uh, you know, hundreds of books writing about their own, you know, UFO contact experiences. You have uh, the work of Dr. John Mack, which is not statistical at all, um, and uh, and and then the hypnotic regression, you know, ES of uh, David Jacobs and Bud Hopkins, you know. So there was uh, very little that was done statistically, almost nothing about the UFO phenomenon. Uh, there are a few exceptions. One is uh, the work of Dr. Kenneth Ring, who was uh, a tenured professor at, at the University of Connecticut. He was one of the pioneers of near-death studies. Kathleen um, uh, Martin did a small survey of 50 people uh, asking 50 questions. So there was very little that was actually known about the phenomenon. So in order for for me to get a better understanding of how all of this phenomena were interrelated, we had lots of data on near-death experiences because that's been, was moving along academically for over 35 years at that time. And uh, that very little for UFOs, UFO contact experiences. There was some research on out-of-body experiences, um, mainly from the parapsychologists, research on uh, hallucinogenic journeys, uh, ayahuasca, uh, DMT, uh, psilocybin, which is the ingredient in big mushrooms, that that was just starting to take off now. It's like there are literally hundreds of peer-reviewed publications on that phenomenon. Uh, Ghosts and spirits have been talked about for thousands of years, you know. Um, but there was nothing about UFO. So I said to myself, the first thing that we need to do is to find out what is the nature of this phenomenon, to get a better understanding. Not that we're going to answer uh, anything about it, you know, but at least, at least get a better understanding of it. And so as part of that work, I was introduced to um, Rudy she- Dr. Rudy Shields, who is an emeritus professor of astrophysics at Harvard, Edgar Mitchell, Ph.D. from MIT, six man to walk on the moon, Dr. John Klimo, who had, uh, was still is uh, alive, but, He's now retired, a professor for over 45 years of psychology, and he focused mainly uh, on, on, on the paranormal and consciousness. Uh, Dean Radin, uh, most of the parapsychologists, uh, and, and all of the individuals that are involved with the CCRI. Now, what I discovered was uh, twofold. Uh, roughly half of these people had their own experience. And that's what led into researching this phenomenon. And I can go into some details. Okay. Um, the other thing was that uh, almost all of them believed, just like I believe, that all of what we commonly describe as the paranormal and what I call the contact modalities, all of them are interrelated. 
we still don't know the complexities of it, but that somehow they're all interrelated. And also most of them believe um, what is uh, in academia called uh, that consciousness is primary. And that is that our material reality is not what we think it is. It's something much, much more complex that we're actually living inside a greater reality. Now, let me d- describe some of these individuals. I could talk about them publicly because they've discussed them publicly. Uh, for example, Jeff Kripal is uh, the chair of the Department of Religion at Rice University in Texas, uh, in Houston. And Rice is, is, is an elite liberal arts school. Uh, it's almost the same SATs and, and, and uh, GPA required uh, Harvard and Yale, the Ivy School. And chair of that department. He's actually an, an endowed chair. He's an experiencer, and he's probably talked about it, okay? We have uh, Dr. Uh, Michael Grosso, who's one of the co-editors of our book. Uh, Michael uh, has had various paranormal experiences, including seeing um, three UFOs in Manhattan, okay? Um, very up close, uh, dancing on top of the local Catholic church, and he's had other types of paranormal experiences. Uh, Dr. Raul Barverde, who is uh, from Canada, originally from Mexico, he's a professor of information sciences. Um, he uh, is an experiencer. He was doing, uh, for the first time ever, holotropic, holotropic uh, deep breathing, and all of a sudden he had a voice tell him, uh, Raul, don't worry about your wife becoming pregnant. Within two weeks she's going to tell you that she's pregnant. And it's going to be a girl, you know. And lo and behold, within two weeks, boom, that occurred. And and now he constantly communicates with this intelligence. Um, uh, Dr. Gary Schwartz, a tenured professor at Harvard and Yale, and now he's with the University of Arizona. He's a, in his mid-70s. This man, the same thing, heard a voice uh, communicating with him. And then he wanted to find out what the hell is going on here. What is this all about? Dr. Joseph Burks, a retired medical doctor, um, he wrote uh, Chapter 6 in our book, Beyond UFOs, on, um, on, uh, on, on healing, on UFO healing. He himself is a major experiencer. Uh, I won't go into the details of it, but uh, you name it, he's had it. Um, so, uh, uh, Gary, uh, excuse me, uh, Stephanie Schwartz, one of the founders of modern consciousness research, again, Another experiencer. Um, I'll go on and on down the list. Uh, Bob Davis, initially when he joined Free, did not have any type of experiences. He was just a research. But then after he got into the research, all of a sudden he had like a, a Kundalini experience where his whole body was shaking uncontrollably. Um, and so what happens is that once you've had these experiences, as you very well know, Paul, um, that Individuals change dramatically, okay? Yes. Just like uh, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, people have seen ghosts and spirits, your whole worldview changes. Uh, and that's what these people have done. But they're, they're, they're focusing a lot of their work now on the research, trying to get answers to what the hell happened to them. Well, now I'm, Ben has a point here that uh, I find rather interesting. Oh yes. Uh so it's 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 fascinating. Um 
listening to all this, and I, I have I have a question coming up, but let me just point out my observation. There's a really fun portion of Greek philosophy where uh, Socrates points out his demon, or daemon, uh, how depending on how you, how you read it, um, from the Greek word meaning just a just a spirit, right? You know, or or you know, depending on how you read it, right? It could mean a couple of different things. But essentially, you know, whenever he would talk about his demon, it would help him make decisions about what he was thinking about, what he was writing, and it would assist him in his philosophizing. And I, I find it interesting that all these very learned people are having oddly parallel experiences to Socrates. Now, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to something you said about five minutes ago. And I, I, I want to dissect this very simple seven-word sentence. Uh, material reality isn't what it seems. Now, instead of asking, what do you mean by that? What do we mean by material reality? Okay, material reality, I guess I would define it via cognitive neuroscience. Major universities have a, a degree, a bachelor's of science in, in cognitive neuroscience, in neuroscience actually. And what it is is actually studying the, the five senses. Okay, um, how how the five senses perceive our reality. Okay, now, but what we're doing is actually you know saying that look, there's more uh, senses than just these five because. Once you've had an out-of-body experience, you know that you're outside of these five senses, okay? You know you're outside of our physical, material reality. Once you've had a near-death experience, that totally crushes that uh, the, the concept of the five senses and that we're living purely within this physical domain, okay? Once you've seen a ghost, a uh, spirit, whatever, a deceased person, Right in front of you, you've seen Aunt Mary Jane right in front of you, and she's conveying thoughts to you, communicating with you. You know that your reality is totally shattered. It's something much, much more complex. Now, this concept has been traditionally discussed, as both of you know, uh, since ancient Vedic times, uh, uh, from from India, from uh, then it went into Buddhism, then it went to Taoism, then it went into the Middle Eastern philosophy, uh, Greek philosophy, Roman philosophy, even modern times. In philosophy, you get a major in philosophy, you're going to be taking classes in philosophy of the mind. Okay? And it's discussing these very same topics. You know, what is the nature of reality? What is the nature of the mind? Not of the brain, but of the mind. And so uh, this is not anything new that we're discussing. This has been discussed since uh, the dawn of mankind. No, no, I, I agree, but I, I yeah. think the way we perceive it as good old modern Westerners is very different than how it was perceived back in the day, so to speak. And let me let me go go a little bit further with that, because we are good old materialists, and and we grew up in a world where you know our five senses define reality, and everything is scientifically defined, right? You know, I know. Uh, that there is a piece of paper in front of me. This piece of paper was made from pulp from trees, and that it was made with water, and then it made up this paper, and then we used ink and dyes to be able to put, you know, you know, words upon a paper. We know that these words have meaning because we have all these abstract ideas that we we form meanings out of. Um, and I, you know, we we have we have a materialistic worldview, and it's very hard to break out of that. 
So my question is this. Can a materialistic science, right, you know, the, the scientific method and all, all of these things that we define through our worldview as materialists, can it define a non-material reality? Um, I think that quantum physics, that the early quantum physicists, if you would read a lot of their uh, writings, um, I would say half of them stated that consciousness is primary. Okay? Why? Because the actual physics of it, the quantum physics that they uh, came, came about, demonstrated that. Uh, for example, the whole issue of the double-slit experiment, okay? Mm. Modern science cannot explain that, okay? The whole theory of entanglement, okay? Modern science cannot explain that, okay? Um, so these are just two concepts that were de- uh, developed uh, um, through modern quantum physics, you know, back in the 1820s and 30s. Um, um, you have Schrodinger constantly, Edwin Schrodinger, Nobel Prize winner, constantly quoting the ancient Indian text. You have Niels Borg, same thing, and he always refers back to the ancient Vedic text. You have Heisenberg, um, another Nobel Prize winner. We're talking about three Nobel Prize winners all of a sudden saying that consciousness is primary. Um, and many other Nobel Prize winners during that time period, and even Nobel Prize winners in physiology, um, saying that the brain cannot uh, um, explain our material reality. So, yes, there are many, many um, materialist scientists that have written about the, the topic that consciousness is primary and not our material reality. But as of now, outside of... Uh, 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 quantum physics, which we still don't understand, it, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, these types of, of, of experiences that we're talking about, you cannot uh, duplicate them. Like, for example, like in neuroscience, you could duplicate experiments on eyesight, uh, on hearing, on smell, on touch and taste, okay? You could put those in a laboratory, repeat them over and over again, and, and you'll get data from it, Okay. You cannot, um, uh, or it's very difficult, people have done it, but it's very difficult to, to, uh, uh, to scientifically study out-of-body experiences, to scientifically study UFO contact experiences, to scientifically study um, uh, near-death experiences. Um, uh, so it's, it's, uh, I, I think that's the problem with material science is that you, you cannot put these things in a test tube. And, and duplicate them, um, and that's what modern science tries to do. If you can't put it in a test tube, if you can't duplicate them, then it's not science. No, I mean I, I, I 100% agree, and that, and we're also, you know, in the 21st century, we're running into a problem with postmodernism, right? And and the problem is that we're kind of hitting a wall, and that wall is nihilism, right? You know, we're we we've we've developed to a point where there's really not much further that we can go. You know, it's why you have Niels Bohr quoting, you know, esoteric texts and stuff, because you get to a point where it's like, where's the meaning in all of this? And I, I believe personally, I, you know, just, just from experience and, and, you know, just observations of being, you know, growing up in the paranormal field, the, the problem with pseudoscience is very big, and, and especially since it can't answer all the questions, right? You know, you know, physics is really great for 
building a bridge and getting you to the moon, but you know, it's it's when you when it comes to defining consciousness, it doesn't do a very good job. Um, I I I think it's I think it's fascinating because it is you know you can't put things in a box, right? You know, you can't put the universe in a box. You could try, you know, people have. <laughs> But ultimately, it's not a big enough box to put it in, um, nor is there a dimension of a box that can be put in. And that's a little tongue-in-cheek joke. Um, but, you know, I guess the, the question then comes down to, what is consciousness? Well, in terms of uh, addressing your previous question, um, I think that, that we as responsible researchers are, tr- are doing is that we're documenting the phenomenon. Um just like near-death experiences. I mean, uh, Dr. Kenneth Ring, Dr. Bruce Grayson, uh, Jeffrey Long, who is on the CCRI uh, committee and part of our co-editor, Raymond Moody. These are all medical doctors. Uh, uh, These are all scientists. Some of them are professors in medical school. Um, They've been documenting the phenomenon of near-death experiences and and out-of-body experiences. In terms of being able to explain it scientifically, we're not there yet, okay? Um, and, and, um, and, and a lot of uh, writings have taken place uh, introducing, you know, the concept of, uh, of, of, uh, of how the early quantum physicists came to the conclusion that consciousness is primary, but none of them have made the link to say that, look, quantum physics demonstrates proof that consciousness is primary. No. They have it, so we're not there yet. But what is demonstrated is that there are outstanding questions within quantum physics that modern science cannot explain, okay? Now, in terms of what is consciousness, okay, uh, the way I interpret it and the way a lot of other previous uh, philosophers um, have defined it is that we are living inside a greater reality, the way... You can think of it is that our physical reality, our five senses, is a small, tiny circle, okay? And then just keep on drawing circles around that first inner circle until you get one big, gigantic circle. And that one big, gigantic circle is the greater reality. Uh, Some people can call it that is uh, uh, what God is all about. This is what uh, um, our universal creator is all about, whatever term you might want to use. Uh, but, for example, um, if, 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 again, getting back to the contact modality, if, um, the, to me, the near-death experience is sort of like uh, the most important um, phenomenon that is able to describe our greater reality. Because here you literally have tens of thousands of documented cases. Uh, you just go to YouTube, you'll spend several years just listening to a different near-death experience story, okay? It'll be years and years, and you won't finish listening to all the stories on YouTube. Now, they're all somewhat different, the near-death experiences, just like out-of-body experiences, but they're all very consistent, okay? Uh, There's something which Dr. Bruce Grayson, who's a professor at the University of Virginia and their School of Medicine, he is really was the primary pioneer that took near-death experience uh, research at, uh, at the level that it's at now, okay? And, um, and, and so he, he developed something called the Grayson Scale, which are commonality of near-death experiences, which, uh, uh, 
with uh, an individual might not have all of the criteria, but they'll have certain percentages of them. It's really to have someone to have 100% of these criteria. And um, if you take a look at near-death experience and you begin to read these stories, uh, buy the books on near-death experiences, listen to the testimony, uh, you will realize that our reality is not what it is, that it's something much, much, much more complex than what it is. And these are people that were physically dead. They're, they're people that had sheep over them, okay? They were declared dead at the morgue, and all of a sudden were resuscitated. That There were people that were underwater. They were drowned for like more than a half hour. One is a, 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 a medical doctor. Uh, who drowned in a river in Chile, and she was more than uh, half an hour underwater. She was clinically dead, okay? And um, many, many other people, and they all describe the same phenomenon, uh, commonly called a near-death experience. You have people that are having, these are millions of people, uh, that are having what is called out-of-body experiences. And this is individuals that, that are very conscious, just like you and I are talking now and having a conversation, they're very, very conscious, and they're going to other realities. It's like, for example, okay, I want to go to Europe. Boom. It's like remote viewers. You're right there in Europe at whatever time it is, and you're seeing everything that's taking place. And also a lot of people describe having their senses, their five senses. They're able to see things. They're able to hear things. They're able to um, to smell things, uh, touching um some of them are able to move things, you know, through telekinesis. But, um, but again, these are very, very conscious experiences. Um, I'm sure you guys have had Preston Dennett on your show before. Yes. Uh, Preston Dennett has had some remarkable out-of-body experiences that he can uh, discuss. Uh, Tom Campbell, who we're going to be having, uh, uh, I know that both of you are invited to a, uh, to a Zoom uh, uh, podcast lecture and question and answer Wednesday, here with, yeah. with, on, yes, Wednesday with Tom Campbell. This is a man who, who's a physicist who was one of the guinea pigs for Robert Monroe and pretty much for the last 40 years has uh, gone out of body at will and has done all these uh, physics experiments while he's been out of body. These are all conscious-based uh, experiences. He's very conscious of the phenomenon. And there are literally, you know, tons of people you know, not just one, two, or three, or four. We're, we're talking about, you know, tens of thousands of people that have described these experiences. Um, so we're not at the point where science is able to describe this phenomenon. But if you ever had any of these experiences or if you ever dwelled into the research of these experiences, you will come out with a full understanding that our reality is not what we perceive it to be, that it's actually... We're living inside a greater reality. Okay. Well, on that uh, lofty note, we're going to take our break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley with our great guest, Ray Hernandez. We'll be right back. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late-night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnigh.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. 
want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal on WON Radio. And uh, before we go to some questions from listeners here for uh, Ray Hernandez, we have a point to make about one of the fellows we've been referring to earlier in the show, mm. uh, Dr. Jeff Long. Uh, he will be our guest on January 30th on the show here. Yeah, a couple uh, months. And uh, we're trying to work our – we already have to some, work our way through the research committee of the CCRI to uh, get a, all, uh, all the members the on. Long, a long roster of members we exactly. have to get through. But for now, let's take a question from Peter – Dear old Peter, in Bogota, Colombia. Indeed. And Peter writes to us uh, a couple questions for Ray. First, I've listened to several interviews where you describe the experience of seeing your wife and dog disappear directly in front of you. Uh, what I have not heard is what your wife experienced from her perspective. What did she say happened to her when she vanished from your view? Um, we found out uh, six months after uh, this experience because we had three major experiences within a six-month period. And then we finally contacted someone from MUFON because she and I had been calling these huge UAPs and they would appear. So we contacted someone from MUFON and the woman is a retired school teacher and her husband is a retired scientist from the National Hurricane Center here in Miami. And she was the first one to tell me what happened to your wife is she had missing time. Because my wife, to her, it was instantaneously, instantaneous. She had gone down the stairs. She looked down, and the dog was running around, okay? But in fact, she was gone for half an hour because we initially woke up at 6, and approximately 7 o'clock was when I was discussing to my wife, where was she? Where did she go? Because it was an hour later. So she had missing time. Hmm. Oh, interesting. All righty. Uh, next question is uh, you've said that you <clears throat> have uh, been successful in repeatedly calling down UFOs or U UAPs uh, and communicating with them. If that is true, uh, could you not solve the UAP mystery that way? Uh, why or why not? Why is it necessary to do all this work with academics if you can communicate directly with the phenomena? Well, first of all, I've, I've only called down, tried to call uh, down a UAP five times. And four times I was successful. These are very close um, uh, objects that appeared to me. After that, it's blasé. You know, uh, uh, I don't need that. <laughs> uh, it doesn't interest me anymore. Uh, also, there are literally thousands of people doing what is commonly called CE5, but I prefer the term of my friend Dr. Joseph Burke, titled HICE, Human Initiated Contact Experiences. And uh, most people do not have telepathic communication, okay? This is blasé. You see little stars appearing to you. They're moving around. You say, go left, go left. They go right, go right. To me, it's like been there, done that. I personally don't need it. For someone that, that has never had these experiences, it's a life-changing experience. But you can't solve the mystery of just calling down a little uh, UAP and it, it uh, appeared to you like a little star blinking in the sky. No, you have to do in-depth academic research study of the experiencer of the phenomenon. And that's what we did with our, uh, our research study. And now's a good time to tell everyone you can get a um, free copy of over 450 pages, free, of our book, Beyond UFOs. Just send me an email, 
and my email is info at experiencer.org. Info at experiencer.org. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a link to that on our website, uh, Ray. Thank you. And, and thank uh, you. as I, I received one of the first copies of this book, it's, it's absolutely, it's not only ponderous, it's full of all kinds of amazing information from really good people. So I would encourage you to take advantage of Ray's offer. Now, Ray, uh, in um, being involved, uh, I feel very privileged to be involved in the uh, Consciousness and Contact Research Institute uh, Research Committee uh, during the virtual meetings, and they have to be virtual even before COVID because people are all over the place, uh, all really all over the world, some of the, the, yeah. the folks. It's amazing uh, what you can do with the Internet. It is. Well, you've been involved too, Ben, uh, the advisory committee yeah, previously. Hand, hand, yeah, a handful of times, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in in chatting with some of the the academics, you know, many of whom we know personally from their being on the show, uh, there's been uh, a lot of talk uh, back and forth about how they, many of them, have been ostracized by their colleagues for being involved in this research. Can you say something about that and, and what it takes for them to do this? Oh yes, most definitely. Let, let's start off with Dr. Rudy. Here is a man who. Um, a professor at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics for over 45 years, okay? This man has published over 300 peer-reviewed publications in, on astrophysics. And he's one of the world's most important researchers on black holes. He has publicly uh, called out Stephen Hawking while he was alive many years uh, ago saying that he was completely wrong on black holes. Okay? It was like three or four years after Rudy made his publications that Hawking finally admitted that he'd been completely wrong on his theories of black holes, which Rudy pointed out. And it was actually Rudy's, many of Rudy's hypotheses that turned out to be accurate. Okay? This man is totally laughed at and ostracized at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. Okay? That's just one prime example. Um, uh, Gary Schwartz, here you you have a man who got a PhD from Harvard in, in psychology, uh, became a tenure professor at, at Harvard, and then a tenure professor at Yale, and then University of Arizona lured him away. And then for the last 25 years, he's been doing these uh, science-based experiments with all these sophisticated electronic devices, trying to communicate with uh, perceived deceased individuals. This man is totally ostracized, okay? Um, I could go on and on and on. Uh, literally all of these people, once they've come out publicly to discuss these things, the only place they could publish their work is in a handful of journals, like, for example, the Journal of uh, the Society for Scientific Explanation. That's seen mm. as a journal for a bunch of, 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 of kooks that publish parapsychology, okay? You try to publish something... Uh, like in Lancet, which is uh, 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 a, a near-death experience researcher. I forgot his name. Leon Pommel, uh, von Pommel, uh, got an article published in Lancet. Uh, he was one of the few that actually um, was successful uh, publishing an academic, peer-reviewed academic uh, article in a high-caliber academic journal. And that was because he did a study, I forgot how many, hundreds, maybe a hundred, individuals that have physically died they had a heart attack okay and he described all the details of their near-death experience so this was documented with medical uh documentation from his hospital 
okay, and he was able to get permission from his hospital, the other medical, medical doctors, the patients, to include that data. So uh, it's still a, a taboo topic, unfortunately. Well, one issue I've found uh, with with academics is that, uh, and I, I think I, I mentioned this after one of the, our meetings, was that uh, I've addressed groups of psychiatrists uh, on the paranormal subject in general, and uh, all of whom were MDs. And I would mention that when I worked as a, uh, in a pastoral capacity as a seminary student in psychiatric hospitals, that I got the impression that uh, many people diagnosed with schizophrenia were, in fact, experiencing actual parallel realities, either either terrible or beautiful in some cases. And they would get all upset, you know, and all this. But a number of them would always come up to me after the lecture and say, you know, I've, I've often thought the same thing, but I don't dare say it because I'll lose my job. And I think that there may be many uh, academics out there who suspect that uh, the, the people we work with are... Uh, really uh, doing a very courageous and, and right thing uh, as opposed to uh, ostracizing them. But, but did they feel the academic and political pressure uh, from their own um, groups so that they themselves will remain quiet about it? Uh, a second point uh, seems to be well, – well, actually, well, why don't you comment on that if, if you could? Have you, have you sure. run into academics who are afraid to speak out? Sure. Let me just preface that uh, that response by having folks uh, look up on, on Amazon the book titled Structure of Scientific Revolution. Uh, this is uh, a pioneering book. It's very, very well known in the social science field, which is how a paradigm, a new paradigm gets established. And basically, uh, to summarize, you have to wait till the dinosaurs die off. You know, all these old, uh, all these old folks to die off. And then a new idea can come about. And uh, so that's the title of our new book. It's titled A Greater Reality, The New Paradigm of Non-Local Consciousness, the Paranormal, and the Contact Modality. We call it a new paradigm because right now very few people actually understand this concept. And Paul and, and your son, uh, Ben, uh, uh, are two of the very few people that actually understand the complexities behind this phenomenon. Okay, um, but yet when, as, just as you say, when you talk to a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists, they will tell you the same thing. And I've spoken with at least fifty psychologists and psychiatrists that told me the same thing that you were told. Now, Dr. John Klimo is publishing in our book; it's never been published anywhere before. A very important article. It's a lengthy um, academic article. This arguing why the fields of psychiatry and psychology have to change to accommodate the experiencers of anomalous experience, uh, phenomenon. Okay? So he's writing a very elaborate academic piece to argue just the opposite of what you were told by these skeptics, that, yes, we have to keep an open mind to all of this. So uh, I believe that right now what we're doing is uh, very little understood by the majority of academia and the medical field and scientists. But years from now, people are going to be referring back to this, this book that we're writing and just say, wow, this was really a pioneering book for that time. I agree. But unfortunately, yeah, but unfortunately now, very few people understand it. Yeah, true. Uh, when will the book be available? Um, it, it'll, it depends on, on how things are going on my hectic schedule. 
but either uh, January 1st or February 1st. Uh, sounds, again, sounds wonderful, people, yeah. Yeah, very soon. If people want to get um, information about our new book, and as I said, the 450 pages from our pre- previous book, um, just send me an email, info at experiencer.org. Excellent. Okay, go ahead, Ben. So here, sorry about that. So here's here's a quick question. Um, just popped into my head. It sounds like, um, just if I'm if I'm incorrect, please correct me. That that a majority of of um, you know the the research researchers out there, whether in academia or not, um, the experience is what changed their minds. Not the method, not the existing research. It was the experience itself, right? So let's say books published. It's it's you know or you, you publish findings in a journal and some people look at that and just say ah it's hooey whatever you know um, no minds are changed no hearts are changed whatever whatever you you want to refer to if the 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 question here is is it the experience that changes the person's mind or is the hope that the culmination of experiences of other people right subjective experiences of an objective reality will eventually change the paradigm. I think the response to that answer is both, because if you talk to Jeffrey Long next week, he will tell you what triggered his initial interest in this was that uh, he was a resident, um, uh, 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 last year of residency, he came across an NDE article that totally blew him away. Um, and uh, once he read that, he began to dwell more into the literature of it, the academic literature has been written about NDEs, and again, blew him away. And then he became a lifelong, passionate uh, um, interest holder and stakeholder. To now, he's one of the leading researchers in the field, and he's writing about God. He's writing about consciousness, that consciousness is primary, okay? Rudy Shields, his interest came about not because he had a personal experience, but because he spoke to Dr. John Mack. Dr. John Mack pulled him to the side. He's uh, Dr. John Mack was a tenured professor of psychiatry at the Harvard School of Medicine. He was the, the Pulitzer Prize winner of his book on uh, uh, of um, Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, this is a genius. He pulled Rudy aside. He said, look, Rudy, is it possible that we could have alter, uh, alternate realities, other worlds, many, many worlds? Because roughly almost everyone that I'm interviewing that have had UFO contact experience, they're telling me they're being brought to other realities. And Rudy said, yes, we have a concept called many world theory, which describes that our reality is made up of multiple universes. That's just one of the many competing theories. And then went on to educate Dr. John Mack that actually um, uh, astrophysics and, and actual physics is arguing what Dr. John Mack uh, um, uh, found out from the experiencer level. So that's how Rudy got interested in the phenomenon because he also began to, to read and to listen to, uh, now at this state of, in his life, thousands of people that have had experiences relating to downloads of consciousness, downloads of physics, and Edgar Mitchell, same thing. He really got interested in this because he grew up in Roswell, and uh, a lot of the folks in Roswell told him what happened, and also he had an experience out in space, which is a Samadhi experience which I won't describe, it takes too long to describe, but basically um, this um, triggered his research interest into non-local consciousness. And I could go on and on and on with many of the members of our board. I would say uh, 
off the top of my head, half of them have had an experience. The other half had an experience which then triggered the interest. Now, I should mention that uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, <clears throat> the astronaut, was uh, on our show some years ago. Uh, I, I'm, unfortunately, I don't have the exact show number, uh, but people can go to BehindTheParanormal.com and do a search on it. Uh, we have all our shows, over a 1,000 uh, shows on that uh, website, and uh, they're out there on iTunes, et cetera, too. So uh, in reference to uh, alien abduction, I should mention that Dr. John Mack, uh, whom Ray has been uh, discussing, was uh, as a, was a tenured professor at Harvard <clears throat> who was uh, a leading, he said, set about to uh, research alien abduction to prove that it was baloney, and he found just the opposite, in his opinion. And uh, he was, uh, they couldn't get rid of him because he was tenured from the faculty, but he was uh, very controversial and, and wrote an excellent book on the subject of people he researched uh, who had uh, actually experienced what he believed a real alien abduction. So I guess that's the trick, get tenure and then you can't get fired. <laughs> so, yeah, something like that. But uh, fascinating, uh, fascinating work, and unfortunately he was killed in, in a traffic accident. People wonder if there was something behind that, but there's, I've never heard any evidence that there was, just a, rather a tragedy. So, uh, Ray, where does uh, the, the uh, CCRI, the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute, go from here? One, if, is it going to continue once the book is done? Yes, yes. The book is just to introduce the concept, okay? The book is not going to introduce any new answers. What it's going to be introducing is how all of these contact modalities might be interrelated, and we're going to be introducing um, radical theories, like, for example, for, on the UFO phenomenon. We're going to be publishing eight articles, but all eight are non-materialist approaches to the UFO topic. Okay, um, and then the other uh, areas, out-of-body experiences, astral travel, um, uh, near-death experiences, uh, people have seen ghosts and spirits, etc., like the article that you submitted, all of these articles already um, establish that this phenomenon is outside of space-time, that it's already non-materialistic. So, um, so what, what we're doing is, in the first book, is introducing the new paradigm and how all of this is related back to consciousness. And okay. that's never done before. Right, no has one it. has ever tried that. Now, right. uh, we're, wanna... no, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, Ray, but we have a final question here because we're running out of time if we could answer it in like one minute. Yeah. Uh, this is from Peter in Bogota. Uh, why does Ray discount the work of Dr. David Jacobs, who's also been a guest on the show? Um, that'll involve a two-hour discussion. Oh, okay. well. <laughs> All right. David, David Jacobs has stated publicly that uh, 100% of these people he's, he's worked with have had uh, mainly negative experiences. Our research study of 4,200 people from over 125 countries shows the opposite. Only 5% have had mainly negative experiences. You're talking about during, during near-death experiences? No, 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 during the UFO contact. Oh, the UFO, I'm sorry, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, 5% have had negative, mainly negative experiences. Okay. Secondly, uh, his research was based upon people that he pre-selected that he did hypnotic regressions on. Our research data is based upon conscious, explicit memories. So, I mean, when you compare 2,500 people with 200 people that he pre-selected over 35 years, showing that it's all negative, you know, that, that just clearly demonstrates that his research study is clearly totally biased. Okay. 
Well, on that st- uh, statistical note, we'll uh, have to uh, say goodbye to our dear friend Ray Hernandez. Ray, thank you for a great discussion. We'll be in touch off the air as we always are, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Always a great time. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you. Okay. So let's get to our announcements. I, I have to uh, <clears throat> be effusive in my praise of, of the uh, Pine Bush, New York Paranormal and UFO Museum and, and the uh, the people who work there. Yes, it sounded like a wonderful time, and I apologize that I couldn't make it. I know. That's right. So, so uh, Friday night uh, I was there. Uh, Ben's mom came with me, and uh, we, we, were just, we were floored by the quality of this museum. Uh, many of our listeners are familiar with the Exeter UFO Festival, Festival in New Hampshire, which will be back in 2022, and uh, the whole town kind of gets involved. Well, Pine Bush, New York, is kind of <clears throat> attempting to do the same thing, and the the town actually owns the building where the museum takes place. And uh, you all know our dear friend and uh, occasional co-host on the show, Mark D'Antonio, who was a bona fide astronomer and uh, a, uh, an official of the Mutual UFO Network. Uh, who was also a model builder. There's a lot of uh, secret work for the government. And he. Uh, <clears throat> the, these are Disney-quality exhibits that he helped to, to build at this museum. And uh, we had a wonderful audience, some of whom came from as far away from Pencil- as, as uh, Pennsylvania for my talk <clears throat> Excuse me on um, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong. Mm. And uh, we've been invited back in February to uh, the Friday before the Super Bowl for the Supernatural Bowl, uh, which will be a, a, a good-natured debate between uh, scientists and paranormal types, uh, including some of the local science uh, teachers, etc., uh, from local universities and high schools, and ourselves and some other paranormal types who may be around. A lot of the people on the show uh, you, you're familiar with have been uh, associated with this, this museum when they live in the East. So it's a great, great time, and thank you so much to all the folks who were there. <clears throat> so... Let's uh, <clears throat> move on to uh, the rest of our stuff. Yes. So this ends our 2021 uh, speaking season. So we'll see you at the New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine, uh, which runs from April 5th to the 26th. That's in 2022. That's only a few short months away. Yeah. <laughs> it's right around the well, corner. Hopefully we'll be at the uh, Supernatural Bowl before that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, so not sure yet, uh, just just when we'll be scheduled to speak at the New England Parafest, but we do plan to do a live broadcast from there. Okay. Now, uh, as we've been saying, after years of tech problems, all the regular recorded radio broadcasts of Behind the Paranormal from CBS, Chief Radio, and here on WOON 1240 AM and FM, uh, have been restored in the archives at BehindTheParanormal.com. <clears throat> They're all free. And um, just go to the archives page. It, it, you'll have all the years since uh, 2008 will be uh, listed there. Just click on that. Uh, you can also hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. And uh, in addition, the show has its own app. Oh, it's very uh, simple. It doesn't do much, but it'll, it'll you'll be able to pick up all the most recent shows. Uh, it's free, and uh, you can go to BehindTheParanormal.com, and there's a link to uh, download it there. Mm. So, Ben, uh, what do we have next week? Well, next week we have Out of the Fridge and Defrosting before we can get cooking on November 28th. Uh, just after Thanksgiving, the bizarre world of time travel will be the subject as we welcome back the great Nick Redfern. And uh, also, that, which reminds me, uh, certainly a very happy Thanksgiving to all our American listeners uh, coming up this Thursday. It's, uh, I think, my favorite holiday. It is very nice. Family and, and, and quiet and, uh, you know, whatever. I think it's it's really, really great. 
So we'll leave you today with a deep thought from everyone's favorite 13th century poet and theologian, Rumi. Silence is the language of God. All else is a poor translation. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on this great cosmic journey. And we'll see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.